Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Legendary Tales podcast. I'm your host, Adam Bloor, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Isadora Martin-Dye. What's up? And today, I don't know what our theme is, really. Well, you told me what you wanted to do, which was... The Chernobyl disaster. Okay, and I decided to take that idea and run with it, which means I have got also a pretty science-y, natural, not natural, man-made, disaster-y type deal, too. Okay. And since we didn't get anything but crickets on splitting our episode up last week, we're going to do it again. Split it again. Um, It does make it a little easier, I think, because then the two kind of commutable bite-sized episodes versus one big long one. So, although I think if you're listening, they basically sound like one big long one. Um, All right. So I am going to be doing something that made me want to take a shower, Hmm. which is smog. Um, S-M-O-G. Like, the horrible gray stuff. Yep. And very specifically and because we're supposed to be looking at legendary things and i don't think smog itself is legendary i'm going to be looking at london and this idea of pea soup smog or how london got its reputation for you know foggy london town Mm -hmm. which fog it was not nope so we're going to kind of talk about that and Honestly, it made me feel really grimy and horrible. And it turns out that I have lived in or visited at least three of the smoggiest cities in the world. <laughs> so who knows what that says about either my choice of destination or my health. Um, my sources are the BBC, the Met Office, a website called Environmental Health Perspectives, Lancaster University, and kind of... One of my sources is a book, and I say that because I read an interview that the author of the book did Mm -hmm. on uh, Verge magazine, Wired. Should have written that down. Well, do you not have the author's name? But I'm going to give you the author's name and the book's name. I'm just saying I haven't read the book because, well, I realized she wrote a book on it like yesterday, and Amazon won't have it to me till Tuesday. (laughs) But it sounds really cool, so I'm going to read it. So the book is called... Death in the Air, the true story of a serial killer, the Great London Smog, and the Strangling of a City. Cool. And it's by Kate Winkler Dawson, Mm. who... Has a very English name. Has a very English name, but who realized that actually not a lot has been written about the Great London Smog. It was... We're going to get into it in great detail, because that's what we're talking about. But she realized that more was written by about the serial killer, who we'll briefly touch on that was operating around the time in the newspapers than the smog itself was. So I'm going to start with what is smog. Smog is a type of air pollution. It's obviously the truncation of the words for uh, smoke and fog. Mm -hmm. It's a portmanteau. Is that what it's called? Yeah, it's when you smash two words together. Okay. Um, Of the words smoke and fog, which... Basically tells you what it's made up of, although it's really not a fog in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. So this is where I'm going to read, because I don't know these words. So this is where I get them wrong. I had a lot of that in my research as well. All right, cool. So there's two different types of smog. There's a summer smog and a winter smog. Okay. Okay, so summer smog is a photochemical smog, and it's the chemical reaction of sunlight, nitrogen oxides, and volatile organic compounds in the atmosphere which leave airborne particles and ground levels ozone. Okay? Mm-hmm. 
And an important secondary pollutant for photochemical smog is the ozone, mm -hmm. which is formed when hydrocarbons and nitrogen oxides combine in the presence of sunlight. So they're eventually oxidized in the troposphere to nitric acid and sulfuric acid. And basically this forms acid rain. Yeah. So summer, summer smog is primarily presented as acid rain. Okay. And it's considered a problem of modern industrialization. It's present in all modern cities. There's no city in the world that hasn't at some point experienced some form of acid rain. But obviously this is something that's much more common in sunny, warm, dry climates. It also doesn't have... We're going to talk briefly about it when we talk about Los Angeles because sunny, warm, dry climate with a lot of vehicles. But it it doesn't have the same kind of immediate obviousness that maybe the winter smog has, which is what you see mm -hmm. much more than the summer fog, which is more of a haze yeah. and, a, and a really bad rain. So none of smog was really understood until the 1950s. In 1948, a flavor chemist, Arian Huggen-Smith, adapted some of his chemical, uh, his equipment to collect chemicals from polluted air and identified ozone as a component of the Los Angeles smog. He went on to discover that automotive exhausts and gaseous hydrocarbons from cars and oil refineries were the key ingredients to smog. Um, but that isn't to say that it's always based on that. An erupting volcano can release huge levels of sulfur dioxide along with particulate matter, you know, ash, bits of metal, all the rest of it, which can create smog. And actually that when it's caused by a volcano or a more natural occurrence, it's called VOG. Why? Because volcano. Volcano. Mm. Um, and it's to differentiate it so you know it's a more natural smog than a man-made one. Right. Just... In 1979, Ronald Reagan actually said that trees produce smog. He got fairly ridiculed for it. Mm -hmm. Only for in 1999, the EPA actually confirmed that trees and plants are a natural source of volatile organic compounds. Yeah. And the New York Times, he got that from a New York Times article in 1964 that talked about how they were emitted from trees. Yeah. Um, but because of the carbon dioxide emissions? I don't think it's carbon dioxide. Oh no, because they oh my god, I'm a moron. Uh because they 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 ingest the carbon dioxide they, and then turn it into oxygen. Yeah. They emit VOCs, volatile organic compounds. It's just I didn't go into it in huge amounts. Mm -hmm. But this is to say that what we are primarily going to talk about today is obviously man-made smog. Industrial stuff. Industrialness. But that actually that doesn't have to be it. And you'll actually see sometimes smog in places that you wouldn't really expect it, but it usually clears up very, very quickly. All right. So London, foggy London town. Yep. In England, we sometimes have referred to it as the big smoke. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've yeah. heard of that. And I guess what I'm going to kind of give you right now is anecdotal evidence of how bad the smog has been in London before we kind of got to the scientific point okay. of how bad it's been in London. So as early as 1272, King Edward I banned burning ocean coal, sea okay. coal, okay, because of how bad it was polluting the air. 
he didn't ban it well enough because this continued to be a problem all the way through the 17th century. And in uh, under Charles II, uh, John Evelyn, who's a fairly famous British writer, actually wrote a paper called Fumigun Forum. I'm sorry? Okay. The Inconvenience of the Air and the Smoeke of London Dispated. And it was published in 1661. And it actually blamed coal and said it had a virulent or arsenic, arsenic, arsenical. Something to do with arsenic. Something to do with arsenic. Vapor arising from it. And said that it was actually killing many. He proposed the relocation of industry outside the city Mm -hmm. and planting of massive gardens of odiferous flowers to tinge the air and thus mask the pollution. Okay. His science was non-existent, Mm -hmm. but actually everything he said was correct. Okay. So burning the coal was creating a poison Mm -hmm. that did kill people. And actually one of the major ways to answer for that was to plant plants to Mm -hmm. make... Was to absorb the... Yeah, the the horrible stuff they were. Yes, exactly. Um, Pea soup started really being referred to as early as 1920s. -hmm. Okay. And there is a really like funny quote from Punch, which talked about how uh, Punch is a satirical journal in London. And it talks about how foreigners think that pea soup means we're going to be able to make pea soup from our foggy air or Hmm. something. But it's been, it's kind of a national and international word for what this soup pea soup looked like and here is a description the earliest description of it slink home through a fog as thick and as yellow as the pea soup of the eating house return to your painting room having opened your windows at going out to find that the stink of the paint rendered worse if possible by the entrance of the fog which being a compound from the effusions of gas pipes tan yards chimneys dyers blanket scourers breweries, sugar bakers, and soap broilers may easily be imagined to not improve the smell of my painting room. Mm. Yeah. Is yellow, uh, the the yellow color, a direct result of the amount of sulfur that's in the smog? Yeah. So, the I mean, here's a whole, okay, so here's a whole list of Francis Hutchin Burton, who wrote A Little Princess, referred to it as the yellow fog that hung so heavy in the streets that the lamps looked like they were lit. Um, T.S. Eliot, yellow fog that rubs its back upon the window panes, Winston Churchill, London having been reaped in a green yellow fog, T.S. Eliot, the brown fog of a winter's dawn in London. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was literally the way that people describe London. Mm-hmm. Charles Dickens, when he wrote Bleak House, when his lead character arrived in London, she asked, were there any great fires anywhere? For the streets were so full of dense brown smog, or smoke that scarcely anything was to be seen. And he replied, this is London particular. A fog mist, said the young gentleman. It, it was just kind of hand in hand with London in the turn of the 1900s. Mm-hmm. Claude Monet even went down and painted the smog in London. Uh, lots of pictures of his buildings of London show it yellow and hazy. And it looks like if you're not really thinking about it, that it's... Monet's way of painting. Yeah. And then you realize that it is Monet's way of painting, but what he's painting is what London actually looked like. Like disgusting, uh-huh. horrible smog. I think the most famous person to really describe London's smog or to give it that reputation was Arthur Conan Doyle and mm-hmm. Sherlock Holmes. I think whenever you think of a noiry 
yeah. Victorian Jack the Rippery type thing. Mm-hmm. You think of people walking through London with the with lanterns, lanterns in the heavy fog, mm-hmm. and it's a lot less romantic. Uh, yes, when you realize it's just pollutants. Yeah, he um he never actually used the word pea soup, although it is generally prescribed to him. What's that called when you you quote somebody as having said something even though it wasn't ever said by them? I don't know, just like false attribution. I have no idea because th- normally you would attribute a quote to somebody. Yeah, but when I feel for like some reason that- the, for some reason the word like libel is coming into my head but it's not libel because no it's not... there's that thing where a whole group of people believe that like the lyrics oh, of the song believe it it's um it's um one journalist no 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 because there's this uh there's this theory the oh my god what is it you know the berenstain berenstein bear thing that that one around yeah a few years ago that's called the not Mandal. It's not the mandalorian that's a show on the Disney, oh it's on that's Plus. something similar but it's the um okay yeah Mandela effect. Mandela effect. But that's not the same thing. Okay, isn't? No. Okay. All right, well, then forget I said that. That's like, that's like every, people have a collective thought. People, the theory is that people share a collective thought that like the, so that the Berenstain bears were actually called the Berenstein bears, but they never actually were and there's no evidence for it. And it it's just people have collect like a collective false memory. Okay, so I guess it's kind of like that, which is a lot of people assume Sherlock Holmes was the person... Well, Arthur Conan Doyle was the person to coin the phrase mm-hmm. pea soup, but in fact, he referred to it as, in a study in Scarlet, he referred to it as a dun-colored veil hung over the housetops. Ew. Yeah, a dense yellow fog. I almost oh, feel like you should be more famous for that. Yeah, I mean, this has got to be one of the worst descriptions of it from Arthur Conan Doyle. A greasy, heavy brown Ooh. swirl still drifting past us and condensing in oily drops on the window pane. Yikes. I mean, you can see why I was saying I like felt like I needed to take a shower mm-hmm. having read all of this information. Hmm. So there are reports of this like, oh, actually, another one, because I've got so many quotes here of people talking about them. Great train robbery. Throwback to one of your great oh, yeah. episodes. Yeah. His 1975 novel, uh, he says... On the eve of January 9th, a characteristic London pea soup fog, heavily mixed with soot, blanketed the town. Clean Willie Williams eased down Tooley Street, one eye to the facade facade of London Bridge Station, was not sure he liked the fog. It made his movements on the ground less noticeable, but it was so dense that he could not see the second story of the Terminus building, and he was worried about his access to the roof. Mm. So it's just very atmospheric. Yeah. there are loads of reports of this thick smog. Uh, one big one in 1813 lasted for several days uh, where people claimed you could not see from one side of the street to the other. A similar fog in 1873 saw the death rate rise by 40% above normal. Um, marked in, marked increase in death rates too in 1880, 1882, 1891, 1892, 1948. Uh, so usually the worst area was the East End because that's where all the factories were. But also the area was low-lying, uh, low which made it meant so, it's where it settled. Yeah. So, and, and I mean, I mentioned to mom that I was going to do this episode, and she said her parents used to talk about, because they lived in the north, which we're really not going to go into, but industrial too, having to use the torch to get from their car to their house because they could barely see. Oh, wow. So it's not just, I mean, 
I'm going to put this out like we always put what the location is. Mm -hmm. We're kind of talking about London, but I'm going to put global because we're going to touch on a lot of the other places Mm -hmm. that hit. So 1952 is known as the Great Smog of London. It Most people, many people right now might know it because it was actually just in The Crown. So in the fourth fourth season, it's one of the big plot lines, I guess, for an episode or two, Mm -hmm. is that London is under this great smog mm-hmm. um, and the chaos it caused. There was a few, obviously, historical inaccuracies to that episode, but the guy who filmed it did say that he could not figure out a way to recreate it with CG. So they hired out a warehouse and literally filled the whole thing with like a colored fog. Oh, wow. Because he there was no way to give the actors, he said it's so impossible to imagine how that feels. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, gross. Yeah. So the smog was so thick that you honestly couldn't even see your feet as you walked through it. It was like walking. You were like kicking the smog out the way as you walked. It blotted out the sun and it was toxic, stinging eyes and leaving you gasping for breath. Um, It started on December 5th in 1952. It basically had been really, really cold in November and December. Like, there's pictures of people ice skating on ponds through the smog. It was frozen. Everything had frozen over in 1952. And because of that, people were burning a lot more coal in their houses. So they were pumping a ton of smoke into the air. Normal conditions, the smoke would rise into the atmosphere and dissipate. Mm -hmm. But there was what's called an anticyclone hanging over the region. Okay which pushes air downwards, warming it as it descends, which creates an inversion where the air closer to the ground is cooler than the air higher above it. Mm -hmm. So when the warm smoke comes out the chimney, it's actually trapped. So the more they kept pumping, it couldn't, yeah, it couldn't go anywhere. So it was literally just falling back down to earth, Hmm. which is kind of a weird yeah. Thought. Um, over the period of fog, this gives you an idea as what was getting each day. This is what's getting was getting pumped out. So a hundred tons of smoke particles, two thousand tons of carbon dioxide, one hundred and forty tons of hydrochloric acid, and fourteen tons of fluorine compounds. In addition, and most dangerously, three hundred and seventy tons of sulfur dioxide converted into 800 tons of sulfuric acid Okay, a day. That's pretty gross. Yes. Here's a, I managed to find a BBC article of the time, and they talked about how ambulances and firemen had to walk ahead of the vehicles to reach those in need. (sighs) That's crazy. They were feeling the effects of it as far north as Belgium, France, and the Netherlands. The, there was a cross-channel ferry carrying 300 passengers from Folkestone, Folkestone to Calais. It was 15 hours late, and it had to anchor off the uh, another part of the French coast because the visibility from just from the London smog was so bad in France wow. that it couldn't even... Wow. It also led to a rise in crime because police couldn't get anywhere um, and serial attacks and things like that. They... It happened to be the weekend of the Smithfield show, which is a big cattle show. It took farmers hours to reach the capital, 
And when they finally got there, most of their prize-winning animals had really bad breathing difficulties. At least one of them died. And it was seeping into the buildings as well as, like, it wasn't just, you couldn't even get, the buildings weren't sealed very well. Mm-hmm. Like, this was still single pane, so right. all this smog was going into the buildings. And they had to cancel sporting events and things like that. So I read this really interesting study on it from one of those sources I cited, and I can't remember which one. Mm -hmm. I think the environmental health protection one. Because initially there were about 4,000 deaths after these. It was five days and there were about 4,000 deaths. Mm -hmm. Slightly puts corona in perspective in that sense as well. Um, cause London wasn't experiencing that kind of death rate, even mm-hmm. at the height of Corona. Yeah. Um, and initially the government actually said that it was an influenza that was responsible for the elevated mortality rates. So this study done quite a lot later looked at the mortality rates during this period and worked out they were about 80% higher than the previous year. So this study looked at the mortality rates and found they were about 80% higher than the previous year for the same time period and were 50 and 40% higher relatively in January and February too. So from December 1953 to, through till March 1953, there were over 13,500 more deaths than normal in mm-hmm. this period. And there's no way that that, could be attributed to an influenza that wasn't recorded. Okay. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It wasn't like Spanish flu. It was just people mm-hmm. were dying at home. The weather conditions changed and the smog retreated. Basically, it started to rain, which is one of the number one ways that these smogs get cleared. Mm-hmm. Of course, then we're talking acid rain. Acid rain. Nice. But at least it clears it. There were more civilian casualties than were caused by any incident in the war previous Whoa! from this one. Mm. And London was still recovering at this point from the war. Mm-hmm. So to lose 4,000 people in four days was just yeah. a real horrific shock. And even though, so actually at the time, none of the, re- everyone reports that no one was panicking, no one was that worried. London had been under levels of smog, as we discussed, for since the 1200s. Mm-hmm. So no one really was panicking and no one had really thought, because it usually lasted a day or two. Yeah. But this was five days and they had basically got an official death toll at the end of it. Yeah. And suddenly it kicked England into high gear on environmental protection. Uh-huh. So they were, in fact, the very first city to institute a clean air act. And that got instituted in 1956, which I will say is still four years later. Yeah. And so, but it was the first one to do it. It was really the, uh, so this is me quoting. It was really the first sort of overarching federal legislation in the world where you had a government, not just a local government or a state government, that placed some pretty restrictive rules on industry and on local citizens and provided subsidies so that Londoners could begin to convert from coal-burning fireplaces to smokeless fuel, which was very expensive. You know, to heat your house with electric when you've always done it with coal is a huge different expense. And it was a blueprint for others to follow. It was... Okay, so one of the things that the Crown touches upon is that Winston Churchill seems to be 
totally uninterested in this whole smog thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really was apparently the Labour Party and under a guy named Norman Dodds that really pushed through this first like piece of legislation. And part of that was also to do with the fact that England was really quite bankrupt at this point, having fought the war. Yeah. So it, it introduced a number of measures to reduce pollution, um, smokeless fuels, no carbon, uh, to re- specifically to reduce sulfur dioxide. Um, you had to put in new filters in your chimneys for gases, grit, dust. And while it was a truly revolutionary milestone to put into place. Yeah, yeah that legislation. Yeah, it really didn't do a whole lot. Um, in December 1957, smoke and sulfur dioxide concentrates reach, re-reached levels comparable to 1952. Mm-hmm. It just didn't last as long. And then another episode in 1962 resulted in another 750 deaths. So what they kind of forgot was that by telling all the houses that they had to use clean energy, which is electric and gas. So what they kind of forgot was that electric is created by burning Mm -hmm. stuff. So they just kind of moved the problem versus stopped the problem. And there wasn't really another like weather event. I I mean, weather-wise, it had to be a very specific this anti-cyclone yeah, thing had yeah. to be very specific to create that much smog for that long. Mm-hmm. So real quick, because I said we touched on it, while all of this was going on, a man named John Christie killed a whole load of people. Um, he was an English serial killer and necrophile from Halifax in Yorkshire. His peers described him as a queer lad who kept himself to himself and wasn't very popular, which... Explains why he murdered at least eight people. Maybe not. Maybe it doesn't explain. Obviously sick. Um, He murdered at least eight people at his flat in Notting Hill. So, and he was doing this while while all of this was going on. I mean, he started a lot earlier. Mm -hmm. But primarily the headlines were filled with his his, his exploits mm -hmm. versus the stuff. no one ever really followed up on whether he killed anyone else other than these eight people. Those are the people that they discovered in and around his flat. The reason why he is very interesting as a serial killer is because someone else was actually, uh, that he killed two people named Beryl Evans and her baby daughter, Geraldine. And Beryl's husband, Timothy Evans, was convicted, charged and convicted of both their murders. And he was hanged in 1950. Mm-hmm. So they're one of his earliest crimes. Um, Christie was a major prosecution w- witness because he lived right next door. And when his own crimes were discovered three years later, obviously people then looked back at these two deaths and thought, okay, mm-hmm. um, maybe he had something to do with them. He did confess to them. And because they'd hung the wrong man, it actually was one of the major cries to re- Uh, remove the death penalty Mm. from England. So, and actually in 2004, the original guy who's hung his, who was hung, um, Evans, his conviction was overturned. Great. Um, And he was finally declared innocent. I'm sure that made his life a whole lot better. Yeah. Well, his uh, granddaughter got some compensation and 
I don't know. She was the one that was fighting it from what I could read. But just interesting to put that in a why that apparently this is what that book's about. So I'm going to read it. Okay. Um, okay. So let's talk about other places. Yeah. In Los Angeles. Um, isn't is in Haynes Irwin. He wrote the Californications, Californiacs in 1920, praises the superior quality of the Californian fog, saying it is not distilled from pea soup like the London fogs. Moist air gathers rather pearl-touched and glimmering. Mm. That was 1921. Yeah. And it didn't take long before Los Angeles and that whole area of the valley was considered one of the most smog-filled areas in the world. Mm -hmm. Heavy automobile traffic combined with the additional effects of the San Francisco Bay and Los Angeles beach port, along with the fact that it's low-lying and surrounded by mountains, make it absolutely prime territory for particularly summer smog. Mm -hmm. And I lived in LA for six years, and we have a thing called June Gloom, which I actually went looking to see whether that was something whether June Gloom was just a different name for summer smog. Turns out it's not. It is a different type of weather system, and it is created by clouds, not smog. Mm -hmm. But I essentially it feels the same. Um, and it's because it's in a flat basin with ocean on one side and mountain on the other sides, what you often get are these anticyclones, although they're not called anticyclones because I guess when they happen all the time, they're just called an inversion layer, which I think is roughly what you were talking about. Yeah, on the uh, bonus episode, the bonus Hawaii. Y episode. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so you get kind of a... You have a cloud layer that protects the warm air from rising, and so yeah. the warm air just sort of sticks around. Yes, so, and with that, pollution yeah. can't Escape. dissipate. Yeah. Um, in 1943, in the middle of World War II, Los Angeles actually had their first major smog incident and it was so bad that people believed it was chemical warfare and it was the japanese dropping mm. chemical bombs on la uh residents would later find out that in fact it was not it was smog and because of the massive wartime immigration to los angeles and all the buildings that went up and the cars that were being running and all the rest of it uh that was why it had coincided with wartime mm -hmm. People in Los Angeles were very proud of their air, says Chip Jacobs, one of the authors of Smog Town, The Long-Burning History of Smog in Los Angeles. That sounds like a joyful read. <laughs> Sorry, Chip. I'm sure it's great. They said that LA was the land of the pure air and that moving there could cure tuberculosis and alcoholism. They thought there had to be one simple answer as to why now they had bad air. Mm -hmm. I love the idea that going to LA would cure your alcoholism because that was not my experience of people. No, there. I don't think that it would. So after the first big smog, city officials pointed to the Southern California Gas Company, Aliso Street Plant. They manufactured an ingredient in synthetic rubber. So basically what happened is they had a smog. The whole of the city turned around and went, you're the issue. So they shut them down totally. And the smog didn't go anywhere. It took nearly like 10 or 20 years later when Los Angeles was, was actually getting about 200 days of smog a year. Mm. Horrible. That they finally realized it was actually car exhausts and car emissions yeah. creating such levels of smog. So 
So it wasn't until the 1970s that they created their own Clean Air Act. It didn't necessarily go to plan, but it ensured strict regulations by the state, um, including tighter restrictions on allowing emissions for all new cars sold in California, mandatory regular emissions tests for older vehicles, and it did significantly improve the air quality. For example, concentrations of volatile organic compounds declined by a factor of 50 between 1962 and 2012. Concentrations of air pollution such as nitrous oxide and ozone decreased by 70 to 80% over the same time period. So when I moved out there, mm-hmm. was really as they got a handle on the smog. Yeah. Because we really... I, you don't remember any really bad days? I can remember every once in a while we lived up near the mountains. I can remember riding the horses up through the mountains, looking down on the city, and you could definitely see that there was mm-hmm. like a, a layer of smog. Yeah. But I don't remember it ever being... How was that affected when California has forest fires? I imagine miserably. Yeah, because it's pretty bad right now, I think. It's a really yeah. bad year for forest fires. And I mean, the last like two or three years yeah. have been really, really bad. I but... imagine absolutely miserably. Yeah. And I imagine... Were there any big when... ones when you guys were living there? Uh, yeah, uh, not like they've had the last couple of years. I mean, they've been getting worse and worse. Yeah. But we definitely sat... I mean, definitely we had the sun blocked out with mm-hmm. smoke. Yeah, but not with smog. But n- not with smog. I mean, we definitely well, it had... Would, yeah, it wouldn't have been the same kind of smog, so it probably wouldn't be... I a... mean, the pollution in California is bad. Yeah. Like... Well, I mean, yeah, it's all a highway, basically. Yeah, and where we lived, we lived in one of the most natural areas because we were right next to Griffith Park and there were a lot of horses and everything. But, like, your windows... Really? Just get... Like, your car windows and your car, hmm. It you could... See. It would like stick to the glass. Yeah, like everything would turn. Like if you left white patio furniture outside, mm-hmm. it would be yellow with pollution. Whereas in Virginia, it gets like yellow with the sun pollen. Yeah, weird. It was. I mean, you were aware that it was like a dusty, mm-hmm. grimy, yeah, air quality. Mm-hmm. Like it definitely didn't feel like they're talking about here of like, um, you know, yeah. Or just pearl, oh, yeah, wanting to... pearl touched and glimmering air. That's no, that's just pollution. Um, so it's not only a big city problem in the states or anywhere really. Have you ever heard of a place called Donora, Pennsylvania? Maybe is there a coal mine there? It was incorporated in 1901. Its borough's nickname is the home of champions, mainly because of the large number of famous athletes who have called Donora, Donora their home. Mm. It's agricultural, coal mining, steel making, wire making, and other indus- industrial things. It's in the... That's very Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, in 1910, 8,100 people lived in it. 1920, 14,000 roughly. Um, this isn't the ghost town, is it, that's on fire because the coal mine caught on fire? No, it's not. Okay. But now the population is down to kind of 4,000. Mm-hmm. So it's lost much of their population. Yeah, like 75%. Yeah. Um, so in 1948, they had their own temperature inversion and their steelworks and their wire plants created almost exactly the same thing that happened in London. Mm -hmm. In fact, like the crown refers to this because it happened right before the London, this is 1948 and London happened in 1952. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of, they refer to it as being the only other event like the London one. Also, when you see studies, they talk about the London one in reference to this, because I guess the weather event was very similar. Okay. There were eight doctors in town who belonged to the Donora Medical Association, and they made house calls, but 
pa- there were so many patients calling every doctor in town trying to get treatment faster that they actually had to set up a central calling office for the doctors mm-hmm. to try and get people out because the smog was so intense that driving was nearly abandoned and they had to plan the routes of the doctors really carefully so that the doctors wouldn't crash into each other. One resident says, I drove to the left side of my street with my head out my window, steering by scraping the curb. That's how hard it was to drive and see. 31st of August. Was I right in thinking it's August? Did I say August? Uh, I don't think you said a month. I feel like it's August, but I may have just got that wrong. Um, A few days later was the first time that they actually set up a meeting about it, town meeting about it. And they asked the plants to temporarily shut down. Uh, The rain it suddenly started raining and the rain alleviated the smog as we talked about. Um, and the plants resumed normal operation by the next morning, uh, research and analysis on the vent have looked that it killed about 20 people and caused major respiratory problems for 7,000 of the 14,000 mm. people in the town. It has its own smog museum. And even 10 years after the incident, the mortality rates in Donora are higher than any other communities nearby. Mm-hmm. So, just to prove that you don't have to go and just by avoiding Los Angeles does not mean you're Yeah, you're going to be fine. Quick little one. Last real town that we're going to look at is Beijing because I've been there. Little town. Little town. Because I've been there and I went there with Ben on a super, super smoggy day. Yeah. So I think one of the reasons why all of this is like really ringing so true to me mm-hmm. is I utterly know how this feels and not from living in London and not from living in California, but from that 24 hours that I was in Beijing mm-hmm. made more of an impact on me for like world pollution than anything else I've ever done. Yeah. So it's always pretty bad. It was measured by the U S embassy. They had a PM 2.5 density of 555 in mid January 2000 and uh, 755 in January 2013, which is more than 75 times the safe level established by the WHO and went off the Environmental Protection Agency's air quality index. It was widely reported originally through a Twitter account that they have categorized it as crazy bad, <laughs> but later this was officially changed to beyond index. Mm-hmm. In preparation for the 2008 Olympics and to basically promise, they had to promise to clean up the city's air. It was part of their bid thing was that they'd make the air cleaner. They spent nearly $17 billion on it and implemented, yeah, I know, um, that's a lot of money, and implemented a whole load of new stuff, including halting work on construction sites, closing factories in Beijing, temporarily shutting industries in half, and cutting, making it so that you could only drive on odd and even days based on a random license plate lottery. Hmm. So, you know, um, it really didn't, it, it was a big problem for them and they have done a lot of stuff to try and help, but it really hasn't done a whole lot for Beijing. I mean, we were there in two years ago. Yeah. Um, and what it does is they are very good. They, they will put in these measures when they have a really bad however long mm-hmm. they will put in these measures. They will shut people down. They'll close factories um, and restrict roads and all the rest of it. Uh, and they're called air, red air days and they put in all these things and they all stop and the air pollution improves and then it gets lifted and then it just mm-hmm. goes straight back up again. They haven't really found a long-term thing, but 
one of the things that they are trying, which I thought was fairly interesting because we keep talking about rain, is that they sometimes use cloud seeding measures okay. to increase the likelihood of rain showers mm. to try and dampen the smog. Um, they also use it for to combat trout conditions and before major events like the 60th anniversary parade so that they can ensure good weather conditions okay. for people. Mm. Um, they didn't do that when we were there. How dare, How dare they? they? But... I will never forget looking at like the is it the Forbidden Palace in Beijing? Uh, I don't know. Okay, I think it's the Forbidden Palace in Beijing, and overlooking the water, and it has made for the most spectacular photography. Mm -hmm. Really atmospheric spect photography. Pretty bad for your health, though. But made for a really long shower once we got back to the hotel. <laughs> yeah. So what are they doing now? Um, they studied a whole. They studied one hundred and eighty six. 106 women who had babies with birth defects uh, more recently and found that the smog in the valleys of California was linked to two types of uh, defects, spinal bifida and anacalafia is the underdevelopment or abscess of part of all of the brain, mm. which is fatal. Um, and then what I found really interesting is that Lancaster University has just released a study looking at how tiny magnetic particles from air pollution have been discovered to be lodged in human brains. Okay. And this could be a possible cause for Alzheimer's. Okay. Like, I mean, everyone's heard of don't use deodorants that contain aluminum or aluminum, whichever way you go with it, mm -hmm. because the metals can be really bad for your men, uh, for your cognitive health. Yeah, yeah. But this is a really like, so they found that there were abundant magnetite, mag and some particles, nanoparticles, Good. in brain tissue from 37 individuals aged 3 to 92 who lived in Mexico City and Manchester, which have high mm -hmm. levels of smog. And it's been implicated in the production of reactive oxygen species, free radicals, in the human brain, which are always associated with neurogenerative diseases. So it really has to get under control. Yeah. Like it is making, it's not just the visible pollution that you see. Canada apparently has a really bad problem with smog. Did you know this? Mm -mm. They seem to be one of the countries that's doing a lot of research on it and taking it really quite seriously. Um, it's estimated that the province of Ontario sustains $101 million in dollars in damages annually for crops. And the estimated tourism revenue is degraded by 7.5 million in Vancouver and 1.3 million in the Fraser Valley due to decreased visibility. And air pollution in British Columbia is a particular concern because they have that same inversion dispersion yeah. that can lead to hmm. smog. I had never associated with Canada with smog. Like I always think of it as being the freshest air that was ever known to mankind. But um, it's really interesting that they seem to be one of the people that are really leading kind of science. Mm -hmm. Science. Big science. Big science. Um, the UK are still not doing great. I really wanted to follow up this up with like all the ways that the UK yeah. were, were had solved this problem. The reality is the smog problem, like the visible smog problem, they were one of the first places to be able to get under control. Mm -hmm. They really were radically different in their approach to it, the amount of oversight that the government put in, the regulations that the government put in were almost unheard of at this point, where it was all about, post-war, it was all about reboosting the economy. So then to put kind of 
limits on what mm. that meant, particularly where London kind of took pride in its smog before this because it was the sign it was a modern industrial city, was really kind of cool. Yay, go London. Yeah. But NO2 levels are still of a real concern in London, and it has the world's highest measured levels of the gas and has breached EU safety limits every year for the last five years. Um, in 2015, the levels on Oxford Street broke the annual limits in just four days. Wow. I did see somebody say nowhere else is measuring like the UK, and if you went to almost no one else is measuring like the UK does on this. Yeah. So it's very hard to really compare the levels compared to other countries because no one's going out, you know, no one's standing on the busiest streets in Paris and the busiest streets in Germany or in Los Angeles and measuring this in the same way that we are in England. Right. But the fact of the matter is it's still above the safety limits. Um, and there's an estimated 5,000 premature deaths, nearly 6,000 premature deaths a year because of this gas. Uh, the UK court ruled that the government must take immediate action to cut this particular type of air pollution. Diesel vehicles are one of the key sources of this particular stuff. So they're starting on targeting diesel cars and, and, and limiting. I mean, England have got a couple of big things where you have to be, I think in the next few years, there's not allowed to be anything other than hybrid sold, right? Uh, I was talking to Mike about it a couple of months ago, and I think it's... Mike's our pub landlord. I think it's either hybrids or they want to be like pure electric soonish yeah there's a lot they are trying really really uh, hard to they reduce don't it. have the infrastructure for everyone to own an electric car in this country um so hybrids make more sense obviously but i don't know what but i do know that there's been a lot of legislation put in place yeah and there's a lot of stuff coming up like yeah like in the next like i think 20 or 30 years i think they want to have all like petrol yeah like and petrol I mean, it's, only well, cars off the road yeah and it's it's great don't get me wrong i'm like i'm really proud but like until you figure out that you can't put those lithium-ion batteries anywhere except for into the ocean. They can't be recycled. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a problem with all of it. Everything's got to draw back, unfortunately. Anyway, that was my thing on smog. That was gross. Yeah. That was really gross. Is that one of the most depressing episodes we've done? No, it's not really depressing. It's just sort of like, oh, my God. And it's, like, funny to look at stuff like that because it's always, you know, like the woman in the 1920s who said that California had the best air. Like Los Angeles had the best air. It's like you like in the 19th. I'm like, you're like, that's not true. <laughs> of, course that's not, of course that's not true. Uh, it's, it's just, I mean, I think the imagery of London and the. Oh, that's so vile. But just you think about it. You don't. For me, I guess it just never occurred to me. What got me down this route was looking at things that had killed people that we don't really think about mm -hmm. i guess we we think about pollution right i mean that's undoubted people think about pollution but i think they think about global warming yeah as being the primary reason why we should stop pollution but there are like and they're not even incidental are they they're sort of really catastrophic uh, i mean to lose four thousand people in five days in yeah. london and to have then that knock-on effect be thirteen thousand people over a few months yeah that's crazy it's an unbelievable death toll that's more people than were killed in Chernobyl. And that was only 75 years ago. Which, yeah, it was not that long ago. No, not even that. I don't even think it was that long ago. Um, what, you, what year did you say it was? 52. Yeah. So 69 years ago. 68. 68 years ago. And 
and it's not just then. I mean, it's still happening now. Yeah. Uh, they reckon, I read one study, which I couldn't find the, I think I read it on Wikipedia and I couldn't then find the source that, Linked it to the article. Linked it to the article, but it said something like 800,000 people globally were still dying of directly related to pollution. Wow. Which is a huge number of people. It's a big number. It'd be interesting to see what's happened with lockdown as to if reducing all the cars on the roads makes a difference to... Yeah, I you think I think you'll see that number in the first couple of months, obviously, before all of the restrictions started lifting. Yeah, but good to good to think about, and I know that was a little bit of an environmentally preachy episode, which isn't really what we do. But if you want to know why we did it, think about to those legends of London with Jack the Ripper and the gaslit lamps and the all that Victorian nonsense. All that Victorian nonsense where they were walking through dark London, and then they you couldn't can, see anything, and they couldn't see things until they were on top of the ripped up bodies and. And then now know that the really disgusting part of that <laughs> was that what was stopping their visibility was pollution, Nitrous smog, oxide, and yes. what would kill them. Yikes. Okay. So that's my half. That was fun. And uh, check back in on the second half of this episode because I'm going to talk about Chernobyl. Oh, and we will also mention our awesome listener who pointed out that she loved the Alien episode. Oh, yeah. Thank you for that. So um, we'll pull up her name and we will tell you how we were wrong and that people liked the Alien episode. <laughs> and we shouldn't have mentioned it, I think, twice that people didn't. <laughs> we're wrong. Okay. Are you pulling it up? Bye. No, I'm going to do oh, it in yours. Okay, bye. Bye.